Well, what is up, Element Church? If you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis, the lead pastor here at Element. So thankful that all of you are here with us today. It's great to be back with you after two weeks out of the pulpit. So thankful for uh, guys like Pastor Andy, who did an incredible job preaching, and uh, the amazing team we have here. I can I can be gone, and I don't literally. I'm, I'm not worried about what happens at Element uh, when I'm not here. And so so thankful for the team that we have uh, of volunteers and staff here. I do want to say. Hello to those of you joining us via video as well. So glad that you're able to use technology to join us today. If you're watching on Facebook Live, uh, do me a huge favor and click the share uh, button there on Facebook Live. That will help spread the word even farther. If you're in the service, got Facebook on your phone, uh, open it up now. Uh, it's the only time I'll give you permission to be distracted. And uh, just share, share the Facebook Live stream there. It's a great way to get the word out about Element Church as well. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving this last week. I'm still recovering from my food coma I was in. Can I get a witness from anyone else today? Um, yeah. Uh, and if you didn't have a great Thanksgiving, uh, I hope that today's great for you as we kick off our Christmas sermon series called My Advent, What Does It Mean for Me? And before I dive into the message, I do want to take some time to remind all of us of the great giving opportunity we have coming up on December 11th. Uh, it's our year-end annual offering uh, called the So That Offering. And we've been talking about this for the last month or so. You'll hear about it one more time next week before we take the offering. But I just want to let us all know again uh, that the, the offering this year, the So That Offering, is going towards funding the I Heart Wyoming initiative that we are launching in 2017. Super excited about that uh, because in iHeart Wyoming, uh, we'll be partnering with and then financially resourcing other existing churches around our state who want to partner with us to serve our communities in tangible ways. And so the Southern Offering is going towards that. We want to be a part collectively of elevating, expanding, and reinforcing the credibility of God's church. Eventually, our dream is in all 23 counties in the state of Wyoming, and we get the great privilege to be a part of that. On top of that, uh, as well, we're going to use a portion of the so that offering to purchase 250 pairs of children's tennis shoes that our missions team will take to Cochabamba, Bolivia this next spring. Uh, we are partnering with a ministry there called City of Refuge. This is one of their shirts here. And that missions team will then take those shoes and we're going to distribute them to uh, children who are living in extreme poverty in Bolivia. So a great chance for us to help City of Refuge serve their community as well. The so that offering born out of John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world, he gave his Son, so that anyone who believes in him can have eternal life. And we give for the same reasons. Because we love God, we give, so that people can hear about, put their faith in, and be impacted by Jesus through his local church. This offering is above and beyond our regular giving. And so I know that's a stretch for most of us. So I'm just asking all of us, me included, to pray, God, what do you want to give through me to the so that offering? And then whatever God leads you to give, be obedient to give that. As I say all the time, no one person can do everything, but we can all do something. And if we all do something, we'll end up accomplishing everything. So that's Sunday, December 11th. I'll let you know one more time next week about that as well. As I said today, 
we are kicking off a sermon series for Christmas called My Advent, and we're asking the question, what does that mean for me? So we're going to start at the very beginning. I'll let you know what the word Advent means. The word Advent means arrival or coming, specifically, usually the arrival of a notable person, event, or thing. And if you don't know this, in the Christian church's context, Advent generally, generally refers to the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, and then Christmas Day, or for us, Christmas Eve itself. And in more traditional churches, like the one that, that I grew up in, you would have an Advent wreath like this one here, with candles that we light every Sunday, and each candle represents a different meaning, a different truth about Christmas. There's three purple candles. Purple is the color of royalty, the coming of the Messiah, the King. It's also the color of, of penance or repentance or preparation. Then the pink candle represents joy. So on the third Sunday, you light the pink candle. And then the white candle on Christmas Eve, you light representing the coming, the arrival, the advent of Jesus. And so this year, we decided as a church to kind of go back to some of our Christian roots and talk about Advent. But I wanted to understand something, that I don't want this to be just a thing we do because it's Christmas, okay? This is not done out of tradition. This is done out of anticipation of what Advent truly means for me. That this is more than just Advent. This is my Advent. And you can say the same for yourself. It's your Advent. And even if you're here today and you've never even heard the word Advent before, you didn't know that churches would light candles every week to remind us of the true meaning of Christmas. You might even be here. Maybe you're watching online and you don't even believe in Jesus. It's still my Advent for you. Like you have the freedom to decide what Advent means for you. That's one of the greatest realities about Jesus is he gives us this thing called free will and lets us choose what we will believe or won't believe even as it concerns uh, Advent in this season. So in this series, regardless of what you currently believe or what you will believe by the end of this sermon or the end of the series, at the very least, if you hang with me all the way through this series, I think we will all learn about or be reminded of why Jesus came or at least why Orthodox Christianity believes he came. And then you get to decide what to do with that in your life. That's an awesome privilege, by the way. God could force us to believe, but because he loves us, he gives us this thing called free will and allows us to choose whether or not we will Believe. So the first candle in the Advent wreath is the prophecy candle or the candle of hope. Because for hundreds of years, okay, for hundreds of years, God would, would raise up these prophets that would begin talking about the coming of a Messiah to God's chosen people, the Israelites. That there was coming a king who would save them and set them free. And in the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi, the Old Testament portion of the Bible, there are more than 300 prophecies about the coming of the Messiah, either the coming of his arrival or his life that he would fulfill. The book of Isaiah alone in the Old Testament 
Testament has more than 20 specific prophecies about the Messiah that Jesus then fulfilled upon his arrival or in his life. One of those prophecies is found in Isaiah chapter 42. So I'm going to read this to you. We're calling this our Advent scripture. We'll have one every week. It's not the main scripture for today. But Isaiah 42, 1 through 4, then verses 6 and 7, and then we'll light the first candle every week then we'll light an additional candle until the end all five candles at our Christmas Eve service will be burning. Isaiah 42 starting in verse 1 says this. Look at my servant. This is God by the way prophesying about the coming of a Messiah. Look at my servant whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. Even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. Some versions say even distant lands will put their hope in him. That's us, by the way. We are one of the distant lands now that put our hope in Jesus. Verse 6. I, the Lord, have called you to demonstrate my righteousness. I will take you by the hand and guard you, and I will give you to my people, Israel, as a symbol of my covenant with them. And you will be a light to guide the nations. You will open the eyes of the blind. You will free the captives from prison, releasing those who sit in dark dungeons. So the cry of the prophets was a Messiah is coming. And there we go. Uh Uh-oh. There we go. The cry of the prophets was a Messiah is coming. And because a Messiah was coming, there is hope, even in hopeless situations. Amen? Now, all of us, I think, all of us have found ourselves at some time in what we felt like was a hopeless situation. If you've lived any length of time, you've, you've experienced that. Maybe it's something serious, okay? The longer you live, the higher chance you have of facing this. But maybe it's something serious like the loss of a job, the the loss of a loved one, a debilitating illness or disease. Those can feel like you're in a hopeless situation, okay? And that's real. Or maybe it's something even trivial. Like there's trivial things that seem hopeless, like being a Cleveland Browns fan. (laughs) Just seems hopeless, right? (laughs) 0-16, they're on their way. Or, or up until a few weeks ago, being a Cubs fan, right? Like that was hopeless to be a Cubs fan. And I got to tell you, I'm praying for another hundred years for that team. Because that's like, I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan and that's just the way it is. Now it's no longer hopeless. They have their one and they're going to claim it for a whole year. And hopefully next year they lose horribly. But we've all been in that situation where we feel like we're stuck in a hopeless situation. Now these pictures I found are, are neither serious. They might be trivial, but they are definitely funny. And so I found some pictures that might help illustrate how we feel when we're stuck in a hopeless situation. So I'm not sure what this young lad was trying to do when he was found here, but this is what happened. (laughs) Yeah. And like any good parent, they took a picture before they saved him, right? That's what a good parent does in this selfie generation, okay? You'd be amazed, you'd be amazed at how many pictures of cows there are online looking like this. The grass is definitely greener on the other side. Uh, There's a bunch, by the way, of cows like that are stuck in different hilarious situations. Now, this next one, okay, i got to set it up. 
I just Googled like hopeless situations on, on Google, on Google images, and there was more than one. There were several situations that were caught on camera where apparently a child didn't have any money to play the claw game, but they figured out how to climb inside. Check this out. <laughs> That's awesome right there. Uh, he is not happy, but he's stuck inside. And then there's another one where this parent, again, is not going to win parent of the year, but they found a great opportunity to get a family photo here with this kid stuck inside. That's awesome. <laughs> That's going to be on a graduation reel one day, friends. That's hilarious. And then last one, we just ended what I think was the most tumultuous election season in my lifetime. I pray our next election season is a lot better than this last one we went through. But I saw this bumper sticker actually here in town. I found it online, kind of sums up how we felt, I think. It's this giant meteor 2016 just ended already, right? Can I get a witness up in here? Like it was, that was a hard, that's a hard election to go through. So, so stuck in a hopeless situation. That's how the Jewish people felt. Like for their whole life, they had been told a Messiah is coming to save you and set you free. But from the last prophet in the Old Testament, Malachi, okay, the last prophet penned his words, Malachi, there was 400 years of silence before Jesus actually arrived on the scene. 400 years of being ruled by, by pagan governments. 400 years of feeling stuck in a hopeless situation, but holding on to this slim ray of hope that one day a Messiah will come to set us free. And church, here is the great news. It's our big idea for today. It's on the screens if you want to write it down, and it's this. The Jews had hope because the Messiah was coming, but we have hope because the Messiah has already come. That's drop the mic and walk away right there, but you're not going to be that lucky. I'm going to preach anyway, okay? So the, the Jews had hope because he was coming. We have hope because he already came. Matthew 12 verse 21 says this about Jesus and his name will be the hope of all the world. Didn't we sing that? Your name, your name is victory. All praise will rise to Christ the King. The Messiah has come. So there's, there's hope even in his name. So that leads into, I think, this big question we have to answer. Why is there hope in the name of Jesus? Why is there hope in the name of Jesus? We're going to look at Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. It's the very first book in the New Testament portion of the Bible. Matthew is one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. So he's writing from an eyewitness account to the life of of Jesus. And I would encourage you to follow along any way that you're comfortable. All the verses are on the screen. You can use the free Bible app U version. You can use your own Bible. And if you don't own one, we'll give you one out at guest services. Ask for one out there. If you want a Bible like right now, I don't even care if you go out right now and get a Bible out there at guest services. That would be amazing. You might actually be legitimately asking the question, why is there hope in the name of Jesus? Why is there hope. It's a legitimate question. Because odds are, in a congregation our size, somebody is already thinking, like, 
I feel stuck in a hopeless situation. And you're telling me that because Jesus came, even in his name alone, there's hope? And I would say, yes, that's what I'm telling you. But listen, okay, listen. In no way am I discounting the pain you might be going through, because that's real. Also, in no way am I suggesting that God will change what you're going through. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. These things we'll see in Matthew 12. These things are unchanging about Jesus. And because of these things, regardless of what we go through, there is hope in the name of Jesus. So Matthew 12, starting in verse 15, Matthew records this. But Jesus knew what they were planning. The they there are the Pharisees, Jewish religious leaders who hated Jesus. What they were planning was a plot to kill Jesus. You can read that in the preceding verses. So Jesus knew the Pharisees were plotting to kill him. So he left that area, smart dude, and many people followed him. He healed all the sick among them, but he warned them not to reveal who he was. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. This fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah concerning him. And now the rest of what we will read is a direct quote from Isaiah 42, which we read earlier as our Advent scripture reading. So it's a direct quote from the prophecy of the coming Messiah says this, look at my servant whom I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice. Everyone help me out and say justice. He'll proclaim justice to the nation. So the Jews had hope because the Messiah was coming. We have hope because the Messiah already came. So why is there hope in the name of Jesus? Here's the first reason. There'll be three today. Here's the first reason we have hope because he shows us the way to heaven. He shows us the way to heaven. That phrase, he will proclaim justice to the nations, is referring to the announcement from the Messiah about the true way of God, the way to salvation, the, the way to heaven. So that word justice is not speaking about a legal thing like a justice department or putting somebody in jail. That word justice means the truth or the way. So in his arrival onto the scene of the earth, God was declaring through Jesus that no longer will you be saved through the old sacrificial system. No longer will you slaughter a lamb for your sins, but Jesus is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. No longer will you abide in strict adherence to the ceremonial, civil, and religious laws. Now you'll be saved through Jesus. His name is actually Yeshua, which means what? The Lord saves. The Lord saves. Reminds me of John chapter 14. So John, fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? John, a disciple as well eyewitness to Jesus, records this conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. Jesus said this, don't let your hearts be troubled. 
Now, why would Jesus say that to his disciples? Here's why. If you have time this week, I encourage you to go back and read chapters 12 and 13 of John, because in those chapters, that's where Jesus uh, has what we now call the Last Supper with his disciples. And in that last time together, he said, one of you will betray me. That was Judas. That was a shock to everyone, but Jesus. Then he told Peter, you're going to deny that you even know me three different times before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. Then he told them, I'm about to be slaughtered, okay? I'm going to be dragged away and hung on a cross, and you're going to be persecuted because you believe in me. So he says, don't, because of that, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home, that's heaven, If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything's ready, I will come and get you so that you'll always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas must not be a typical man because he doesn't admit that he actually knows the way. He says, no, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? And then Jesus gives these famous words. Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth. In the life. No one can come to the Father, or in other words, no one gets to heaven except through me. So I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what God is allowing into your life. I don't know what hopeless situation you currently find yourself in or what hopeless situation you will find yourself in because the reality is for all of us we either have already or we are now or we will in the future face what seems to be a hopeless situation so i don't know what that is for you right now or in this in the future all i know is this there is hope in the name of jesus because he shows us the way to heaven He shows us the way to eternal life. That no matter what this life throws our way, spiritually, my life cannot be taken away. And that gives me hope. Gives me hope in the name of Jesus. So don't be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me, Jesus said. The Jews had hope because the Messiah was coming. We have hope because he already came. Why is there hope in the name of Jesus? Because he shows us the way to heaven. Then Matthew 12, 19, again quoting from Isaiah 42, says this about Jesus, about the Messiah. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. What in the world does that mean, right? So some people, okay, and I, this is, I don't agree with this, but some people use this verse to point out to the fact that Jesus was, was meek and mild. And there's some truth to that, okay? There's some truth to that. But I want us to be careful that in the process, we also don't emasculate Jesus as well. I want us to be careful that we we don't paint Jesus to be some spineless teacher that never offended anyone, never got angry, never stood up to tyranny or injustice. Because to do that, you got to throw out a lot of the story of Jesus if you're going to do that. So there's a balance between the, the power and, and, and the truth and strength of Jesus and the meek and mild nature of Jesus. So as I studied this one verse, what it basically comes down to is this, that this is talking about that, that Jesus is not seeking praise. The Messiah will not seek praise for himself. That he came in humility with a servant's heart. 
We sang that as well, that he came, knelt, and washed our feet. That God in the flesh washed gross, grimy, dirty feet of sinful human beings. So here's how I'm wording it. The second reason why there's hope in his name is number two is this. He seeks people, not their praise. He seeks people, not their praise. We read it earlier in Isaiah 42 where it says, He healed all the sick among them, but he warned them not to reveal who he was. Now, yes, I understand. We know some of this had to do with the fact that his time had not come yet. It was not time for him to die. And so we saw many times he would heal somebody and then say, don't tell anybody about me or what, who I am or what, I, what I've done. But now after studying this verse, it also seems to show us that he was much more concerned about the individual person than he was the praises of individual people. Does that make sense? But I will not, he will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public, or I'll put it in Jeff Manis 2016 terms. The Messiah will not arrive and say, hey, look at me, I'm awesome. Because I don't know about you, that's what I would do. That's what I do already. Like maybe, maybe, you'll, maybe you're, you're sitting with somebody, or maybe you are someone that's like this. But there'll be times, like if I, do, if I do something awesome, I want people to know how awesome I am. Anybody else like that, right? So like, let's say I'm at home and my wife's out running errands or taking the kids around in the mom taxi everywhere they got to go. And I notice that something needs done, like the kitchen needs cleaned or the floor needs vacuumed or whatever it is. And I'll, and I'll do it while she's away and it'll look awesome. And then she'll come back home and walk through this immaculate kitchen and not say a word about how clean the kitchen is. When she left, it was destroyed. And I did it like awesome. And she won't say anything. And so I'll go in the kitchen. And I'll make sure she can hear me. And I'll do this. Oh, somebody cleaned the kitchen. Who could that be? Why do I do that? Because I'm awesome. And I want everybody to know, right? But that's not how Jesus is. This is so huge, so huge. Jesus doesn't need our praise. He doesn't need credit for what he's done. If Jesus wanted praise, he could have rode in on a white horse the size of Texas and demanded it, but Jesus doesn't demand our praise. Instead, he demonstrates his love for us by meeting us right where we are. In fact, whether you ever give him praise or not, he is still seeking you. He seeks people, not their praise. So God's not trying to figure out how he can get recognized. God's trying to figure out how to get me to recognize he is all I need. He's not looking for our praise. He does not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He just wants to be with us where we are in good times and in bad. That leads right into the last reason there's hope. The Jews had hope because the Messiah was coming. We have hope because the Messiah has already come. So why is there hope in the name of Jesus? He shows us the way to heaven. He seeks people, not their praise. Then Matthew 12, 20 and 21, again, about the Messiah 
directly quoting Isaiah 42, says this, He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. That literally, instead of just crushing a weed that's weak, the Messiah will bind it up and strengthen it. Instead of blowing out a fading flame, the Messiah will stoke the flame back into a fire. Isn't that good? Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious. Here it is. And his name will be the hope of all the world. Here's the third reason why there's hope in the name of Jesus. Number three is this. He strengthens us when we are weak. Strengthens us when we're weak. That he never calls us useless. Even when the flame is going out, he fans it back into a roar. Even when the reed is broken, he binds it up with strength. One of my favorite stories in all the Bible is the story of Jesus and Peter walking on the water. It's found in more than one gospel, but in the gospel of Matthew, Matthew records that they had just, Jesus had just fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children, with five loaves of bread and two fish, multiplied it million times over. There was 12 baskets of leftover food. Most scholars believe if you count women and children, there were 15 to 20,000 people that Jesus fed. Then for some reason, I think, but maybe knowing what was coming, I don't, I don't know, but for some reason, Jesus puts the disciples in a boat and says, cross to the other side of the sea, I will meet you there. Then Jesus goes away by himself, secluded to pray with his father. So the disciples are rowing across the sea when this storm, this gale force wind comes against them and they are just rowing and rowing and rowing but not going anywhere. Ever feel like that in your life? Like I'm working hard but I ain't going nowhere. And Jesus decides to walk across the water to them. That's how I know he has a sense of humor. Okay? And he walks out on the water. The Bible actually said he intended to walk past them, which is hilarious. But they saw him coming and the Bible says they were terrified thinking they were seeing a ghost. The wind and waves are tossing. And it says this in Matthew 14, 27. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. Why? I am here. Whoo! That's powerful enough. It becomes more powerful when we understand that literally translated, Jesus said, the I am is here. Come on. Why is that powerful? Because all the way back in Exodus, hundreds of years before, the people of Israel were in slavery. Moses had fled after murdering an Egyptian soldier. Was in the mountains when God appeared to him and said, you're going to go back and lead my people out. And Moses was like, uh-uh. And he's like, well, if I go, who do I tell them is sending me? And God said, tell them the I am sent you. I am that I am. God was saying, basically, bro, it's I'm it. I'm God. Tell them I am sent you. And so here the disciples were in the middle of a storm, rowing but not going anywhere, feeling like they're stuck in a hopeless situation. And Jesus comes to them, walking on the water. They were terrified. And Jesus did not say, take courage, because I'll make the wind stop. 
Did he? Yes. Can he? Yes. But that's not why you should have courage. He didn't say, take courage. I'll never let anything bad happen to you. Take courage. It's all an illusion. No, he said, take courage. The I am is here. I am with you. That's another prophecy, by the way. From Isaiah 7, 14. All right, then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Amen. I don't know about you, but that brings some hope to my soul. To know that right now the I am is here. Church, the I am is here. He's here. Someone needs to know that today. That you're not alone. Whether you are with any other human being, the I am is with you. God in the flesh. The Jews had hope because the Messiah was coming. We have hope because he already came. That in his name, there's hope. Why? Shows us the way to heaven. He seeks people, not their praise. He wants you, not your adoration. Once he has you, trust me, once your sins are forgiven, you have no problem giving him back some praise when you realize what you're saved from. He strengthens us when we are weak. Take courage. The I am is here. So amazing. So amazing. So Here's what I want to challenge you to do. We created for every message in the series some video devotionals, okay? Tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. on my blog, jeffmanis.com. would encourage you to go there tomorrow. There'll be a video posted. It's less than five minutes long, okay? And I would encourage you sometime this week, gather your family, yourself, your small group. Great idea for a small group. And just watch that video. And then I'm kind of taking this idea of hope and giving us some next steps to live out with our families, our small groups, individually, whatever, to bring hope into our everyday lives. So I encourage you to spend some time this week, less than five minutes, to watch that video and then pray about what God would have you do with that. Another next step, though, because I know there's probably somebody here today that you've never received hope in your spirit because you've never had your sins forgiven by the only one who can. Let me tell you, that's why he came. He did not come so there was cool Bible stories to read. He did not come to establish a building. He came to save us from our sins. And by putting your faith in Jesus, committing yourself to follow him, you can be saved and you can be set free. And I want to give you that chance today. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you're here today, you've never had your sins forgiven by putting faith in Jesus, I want you to pray this prayer with me just silently. Pray to God from your heart. Father in heaven, I believe in Jesus. Emmanuel, God is with us. I believe he is the Messiah, the only way to be saved. So I put my faith in you, Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Make me new. I repent of the way I've lived. I will turn and follow you. Thanks for loving me, God. I'll do my best to love you back. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, if you're here today and you just prayed that prayer, 
Would you do something very bold and just lift up your hand and say, yeah, that's me, Jeff. I just asked Jesus into my heart. Praise God. Anybody else? Raise your hand. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Anybody else? Raise your hand where you're at. Praise God. Anybody else? See you right there. Awesome. Praise God. Awesome. See you guys. Praise God. Praise God. Awesome. Love it. Thank you. I see you. Awesome. Listen, listen, that is why Jesus came right there. And church, if we ever lose sight of that, we've lost. We've lost. For those of you who prayed that prayer, so proud of you. Your Father in heaven's proud of you. And we have written, we have literally written a 21-day devotional that goes through the Gospel of John that will help you take your next steps in Jesus. So if you want one of those, stop by guest services and ask for one. We'll put one in your hands. You've got to take some next steps now if you put your faith in Jesus. And then mark on your connection card that you asked Jesus into your heart. That would be awesome. We'd appreciate that. I love you guys. Let me pray for you. Then remain seated. Andy has some closing words. God, you're so good. Well, thanks for the hope that you give, that there is hope because you have already come. Emmanuel, God is with us. Thanks for your presence, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.